Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Dad already used the word in his opening. What I'm going to speak about this morning. Did anyone catch it? How secure are you this morning? What do you think about when you think of security? There are things that give us a sense of security. Our homes. Our families. I didn't realize until just last night that today is Grandparents' Day. Our grandparents give us security. I do not have any more grandparents living anymore. So this message is not necessarily geared in that direction, but thinking of grandparents, they do offer a form of security. And if you do have grandparents living, enjoy them, cherish it, and love them and appreciate them. Turn to Psalms chapter Psalm 61 for the text this morning. This is a familiar psalm, a psalm that David probably wrote. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covenant of thy wings. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Notice the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thinking of grandparents. Thou will prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. I had a couple things happen to me this week. I don't know if you've had these happen to you or not, but I assume that you probably have. I received a phone call, and it was a number that I did not recognize, so I didn't answer it. And this continued for multiple times throughout the day. Finally, I answered it one time, and it was recording. And the recording goes, your social security has been breached, and it will be suspended. And already red flags are there. Why would Social Security be calling me saying that my Social Security is suspended? But press 1 for more information. So this continued on and I was getting annoyed. So I, later in the day, got the call again. So I thought, well, what is wrong with pressing number 1? 
They're not going to get any information from me. So I press number one. And this accented voice on the other end says, Hello, hello, hello. And I just remained silent. And he continued to say, Hello, hello, hello. Finally I said, Hello. And he says, Thanks for calling. And I said, I didn't call. Either we got disconnected or, or he hung up. But that was the end of it. Well, not very long after that, I got a text message saying that my Wells Bank account has been suspended. Well, a red flag there already was Wells Bank. That's not my bank. It's not Wells Bank. It's Wells Fargo. And why would Wells Fargo be sending me a text? So I'm starting to get a little alarmed. All I did is press number one. So then that night or early the next morning, I was just scanning through my emails quick. And I see Bank of America. And it's about fraudulent activity. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, this is a credit card that I have. So I had to get going and do chores. And so I was on pins and needles most of the morning. So I finally got done with chores, came in and checked my credit score. Went to my bank and everything looked good. Okay. I hadn't looked at the mail from the day before. And if I had had done that, I would have been at ease because there on my desk laid an envelope from Bank of America with two new credit cards in it saying that due to some fraudulent activity at some place that you do uh, merchant, um, your security is important to us, we have issued a new card. So totally not even connected. And this other stuff was just all random. But I thought it had something to do as technology gets smarter and smarter, sometimes you wonder how fast and how far is it going to go before you know what has happened. Trust me, I've been there one time before and it's not fun changing all your information. And if somebody has hacked into your identification, then that's a whole different ballpark. And I had a salesman at my place not real long ago. It was the day that the, the new law was implemented where Cell phones are no longer to be in your hand while you're driving and, and et cetera. And he was kind of whining about it and he was saying that, you know, he's, you know, he, he wants to be safe and he understands why, but, you know, for a salesman, being on the phone while you're driving is doing two things at once and you can get a lot done. He said, I'm ready for it. He said, give me the chip. He said, I'm tired of remembering my passwords. Well, how do you respond to somebody that says, give me the chip? But in the name of security, it might be there. I have some questions I want to ask. I find it helpful for me when I ask questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being low and 10 being high, how do you rate your security? Just think about it. And what are you doing about your security? The definition of security means safety, as well as a measure taken to be safe or protect. 
in order to provide adequate security for, you fill in the blank. Small children will sometimes latch onto a blanket or a teddy, stuffed animal, that gives them the sense of security, gives them the feeling of security that they have. What kind of security are we putting our security into? Also, along that whole line, there was a news on my news feed. Um, of a fall at Yosemite National Park. Has anybody ever been to Yosemite, the national park in California? One person, two, maybe. Um, understand that Beth's dad, Larry, and Beth's sister would have been there and hiked it. And that was the day of the eclipse. But uh, this woman was hiking. She had she fell 500 feet to her death. She was from Arizona, and uh, she was hiking the path, and somehow slipped and fell on the rocky terrain, and fell to her death. Now. Yosemite's Half Dome hike is a great challenge. According to the park's website, for most of it is an excitement, an arduous hike. For a few, it becomes more of an adventure than they wanted, the site says. The dome, the rock, is 8,800 feet above sea level, and the hike to the top and back is more than 14 miles round trip and takes 10 to 12 hours and sometimes longer. And the last portion of that hike is featured with two metal cables that run the half dome that allows hikers to climb it, climb the 400 feet to the summit without having to use rock climbing equipment. Permits are required for the hikers that want to climb with the cables. And this is what they say. There is nothing you can do to guarantee your safety. That last paragraph I found interesting. There is nothing we can do to guarantee your safety. What if we would make a paragraph like that part of our church? There is nothing we can do to guarantee your safety. As you walk life... There will be times the trail will get slippery. Storms will come up quickly. Clouds will roll in, may even get foggy. But I want to think about this disclaimer. You see, the park doesn't want to be held accountable for any accidents that happen. You're at your own. You're on your own, and here lies the difference. Let me ask the question. 
are the leaders at Prairie held accountable for any accidents that may happen? Do you feel the leaders at Prairie have concern for your safety? And then in Acts 20, 28, Be on guard for yourself, for all the flock among you which is of the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There is safety. There is security in the church. Justin talked this morning in his devotional about two paths, the narrow and the wide. The narrow is not popular at all. The wide is well-traveled. And as I was thinking about that, I was remembering our first little excursion to the the mountains of Colorado. And I don't know if I would have found the trail or not, but we had a guidebook. Neighbor Dave gave me a guidebook to help me, and it gave fairly, fairly detailed instructions on how to go on these trails that are in the mountain. Well, you'd go down this main road, and you have to do a left-hand turn, and then it gave pointers. There'll be a bridge, and nothing's marked real well. It's just, you make your left, and here's two tracks heading up through. Well, we get up to the edge of the trees, and all of a sudden there's trails heading everywhere. Where do we go? I could have took my time, and I could have, well, let's do this one, let's do that one. But in the book, it said, hang a right which was even almost less of a trail. I think what had happened is some people had gotten off the main trail and gone back there and started four-wheeling and, and tore it up and made it look more traveled than what the actual trail was. The narrow way. You need directions, you need a guidebook, you need to follow it. Also, I came across another article that had happened at this same park a month earlier. Three visitors were injured, one fatally, in the falls at Yosemite National Park. A 21-year-old man died after he slipped and fell from the base of the waterfalls in the California park. In two incidences, on July 29 and Wednesday, another visitor and a man fell 20 feet after slipping on wet boulders near the base of the falls. Both had left the marked trails to scramble up the side of the boulders. Rescuers clad in climbing shoes with sticky rubber soles scrambled up the slippery boulders to reach the visitors and provide life support. Officers said both visitors were flown to the park. Capitol Meadows where the ambulances met them. The unnamed man died outside the park after his fall. And then they gave a link there, seven ways to stay safe in national parks and I'll get to that but a third incident happened on Thursday which was a month ago at the falls where a visitor slipped from the boulders and became trapped between rocks under the water in the Yosemite Creek and they escaped and the bystanders helped them out but all this all happened due to them leaving the marked trail Yosemite off Officials are advising visitors to stay on the marked trail, away from the slippery rocks. The boulders near the falls are granite. They're poly-smoothed by the waterfall. They're extremely dangerous to climb, whether they're wet or dry. It says that their people have slipped and injured themselves at this falls 23 times over the past few years. 
and 14 have involved head injuries. So I clicked on this link, Seven Ways to Stay Safe, and I found it somewhat interesting. 318 million people visit these national parks in 2018. There's bound to be some deaths and some injuries. The rise, this is what they said. This is from CNN. The rise of the selfie seems to have emboldened more people to step off the trail to take the epic picture of that perfect but dangerous geyser or a durable mama bear with her cubs. The rise of the selfie. You know what a selfie is? All those that are young, 20 and under, know what a selfie is. For me, when I see a selfie, it's when my phone, my camera switches on without me knowing it, and I see it and I don't want it. It's not me. Our national parks are meant to preserve in natural state as much as possible, which minimizes the amount of safety precaution which can be installed by Galvin, which is an official at one of the national parks. So, seven safety tips. Stay on the trail. Sometimes it's easy to step off. The National Park does a good job of maintaining and creating trails for public use. You never know what may be at the edge of that trail. It could be a crumbling cliff, a deep canyon, a slippery slope. Their recommendation is stay on the trail. Another tip is stay away from the animals. And they give guidelines. Yosemite, they say the black bears stay 50 yards. They must be more vicious at Yellowstone because there they say 100 yards. 25 yards from the bison and the elk. Another tip is pack your food. Clean up after yourself. Another one is don't stop in the middle of the road. There's more accidents that happen in Yellowstone because of people that see a bear and stop in the middle of the road. Another one is drink enough water. Whether you're hiking down a mile into the Grand Canyon or trekking Death Valley, these are the hottest and driest parts of the earth, carry and drink enough water to stay healthy. Death Valley offers instructions to drink plenty of water and their recommendation is at least one gallon per day. Another tip is pay attention to the weather. Weather can change fast depending on where you're at. And the last tip is wear the right clothes. Now, this was advice from the National Park Service in order for you to be safe and, and to enjoy yourself while you're there. Does this guarantee you safety? No, but trust assured, if you would follow these tips, you probably would end up standing a good chance of going in and coming out and maybe having that selfie. I want to take it to the next level as we consider our walk, our Christian walk. There will be times where the path will get slippery, the path will get challenging, Pay attention to the weather. 
the sun will not always shine. Storm clouds will roll in. Pay attention. Be prepared. Don't stop in the middle of the road. And drink lots of water. Stay healthy. It's good advice. You cannot go long without water. Neither can you live long without drinking in God's Word. And wear the right kind of clothes. Clothing offers protection. It doesn't take you long to figure out that you don't wear winter clothes in the summer months or the other way around. When you hike, your elevation can change very rapidly. You can go from a hot day to maybe a cool day, and then if the weather would change, it can turn to snow. And if you are dressed for summertime, you will be caught without being prepared. How are we dressing in our Christian walk? Are we wearing the right kind of clothes? Which kingdom do we want to represent? Looking at this psalm, Psalm 61, as we think of security and insecurity, here is a psalm that David had some insecurity, but he knew where to go. David knew that he must cry out to God, and that is in 1 through 2. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. It's very likely that this psalms was penned at a time when David's own son Absalom had railed and had gathered a great support, a coup against him, and had fled, and David had fled with some of his men. And Absalom is coming after him. So David and his men are far from home. They are probably hungry and tired and thirsty, and they are about to have to fight for their lives against the whole army of Israel. In this situation that David prays, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call as my heart grows faint. You can hear that desperation that is in David's voice. My cry. My heart grows faint. David had run out of resources. He had realized that he could not save himself. He, we could say, was at the end of his tether. All he could do is pray. And pray he did. And he determined that he would be heard. Know how far away from Jerusalem he was, but he mentions, from the ends of the earth will I cry. Have you ever prayed to God like this? Hear my cry, O God. 
Listen to my prayer. You're at the end of your rope. You're at the end of your... You don't know what to do. Does God sometimes put us in these situations, in these circumstances, that we will cry out to Him? Our only hope is Him. God wants to hear our heartfelt cry. Since it's Grandparents' Day, I want to mention something about my grandparents in regards to praying. And it was mentioned at my grandma's funeral. My grandparents were prayer warriors. I know that. They would often pray for their children and their grandchildren and their families. And they would do that every day. How do I know that? Because when I was there, they vocally would do that. They would pray for them. And the question that came to my mind, since they are gone, who will fill that gap? As long as we have strength to pray, there is hope. Without the capacity to pray, we have no hope. There is an end to man when he makes an end to prayer. Had David stopped praying, he would have stopped. He would have started despairing, and then all would have been lost. In the clutches of insecurity, there is just one thing to do. And that is to cry out to God. To cry your heart to the Lord. But then David also says, Lead me to that rock. That rock that is higher than I. And I find this interesting that um, at Yosemite, this half dome rock, that's that's somewhat the attraction there. It's a huge rock that is 8,800 feet above sea level. It sticks up. It's it's a place of attraction. It's a rock that is high. It's something to see. But how much more to go to God, a rock that is higher than I. David wanted a safe place to be. When our children are frightened, what do they do? They come find mommy and daddy. Why? Because we're bigger than them. And we look like we have it all together. We can handle it. But David knows that he needs something bigger than himself to rescue him. He needs to stand on that rock. And that rock is God. Also, if you've been following the news, the hurricane that Dorian Dorian, that hit the Bahamas... I can't imagine, I can't even grasp and fathom. I mean, we have sometimes tornadoes with wind that only last for maybe at best 30 seconds. But can you imagine being on an island with water all the way around you 
and hurricane winds of 185 miles an hour lasting for a whole day. You want security? You'd find out very, very fast what would be secure and what isn't. Can you imagine the relief that you would have if you were in that and you had been rescued? In answer to our heartfelt cries, God doesn't say pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He doesn't tell us to save ourselves. We can't. Any rock that we could climb on, our danger could follow us. Only a rock that is higher than we is safe. And only God can lift us up there. David's desire is to draw closer to God. Look at verse 3 and 4. For thou hast been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. And I will trust in the covenant, in the cover of thy wings. David doesn't pray for physical security. He knows that God has already given him that. Verse 3. You have been a shelter. You have given me that protection. You're a strong tower from the enemy. But his prayer is for a relationship with God. I long to dwell in your tent forever. Take refuge in the shelter of his wing. What a surprise. We would expect David, on the run from Jerusalem, tired and hungry and thirsty, to pray to God, I long to live in my palace again. I long to eat the king's food. I long for the comfort and pleasure of royalty. I long for that security of living in Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be normal for a king to pray that? But David knew better than that. He knew putting his trust in material things was much bigger. He was much bigger aim. God had a bigger aim in mind. He knew that his relationship with God was that key to that security. Closeness is David's goal. David longs back to that tabernacle, that relationship that God had with the children of Israel and the presence of God coming and dwelling there in the tabernacle. That's what David's longing for, that house, that God's sanctuary before the temple was built. David knows the lasting security is found only in the shelter and the wings of God. Think of a chicken, a duck, a goose, whatever bird. That's their instincts to protect their young underneath their wings. 
I uncovered a turkey one time, and I thought it was one turkey until she moved, and there was, I don't know how many little turkeys, they were surprised how many she had packed under there, but there was at least, I'm guessing, 15, 20 little turkeys that were, went scurrying off after she left. But they were safe under her, under the wing of their mother. This is the security that David is wishing for, and wants. Where do we look to find security? So often we put our trust in our jobs. Or is it in our savings account? Or is it in our house? Or a pension plan? Or in a relationship? Or in our family? Or in our own skills and ability? We would be fools to trust in these things. They can be taken away from us in an instant. Not one of them offers a real, true security. Where is your hope for security? Where is your hope for security in the future? Sometimes you can have a conversation, well, yeah, if I got a better job, it would be different. Maybe building a bigger savings plan. Moving to another area, another house. That would make a difference. But you know, the more you accumulate, the more you got to worry about. And that adds to more insecurity. David knew that there was only one place for real security. And that was found in being close to God. Taking refuge with Him. And we need to make that our goal too. That we want to be in a relationship with God. That we are close. Walking with Him every day of our life. And that will free us from the worry and the anxiety and the insecurities around us. Also, David knows that the king is a guarantee. Look at verse 5 through 8. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God for ever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, and I may daily perform thy vows. David has finally found what he's been looking for. He has confidence that God has heard him and has blessed him. For you have heard my vows. O God, you have given me a heritage of those that fear your name. David's vows are his prayer, his cries out to God. How can we share that confidence with David?
David goes on to pray. Apparently, it would seem that he's praying for himself, but yet it's not in a uh, personal uh, personal way. Um, the language he uses is in his prayer is uh, increase his years for many generations. He prays in the third person. Why is it his and he rather than my and me? What David knows is that there is only true security for God's people while God's king is on the throne. And we know very well with Israel what happened when kings would come and go. They were either good or bad. And David knew that a godly king was important to God's people. His eyes had been lifted up from his current situation and he had become confident in his own security. And now he's thinking about the big picture. How can this lasting security be given to God's people? Did David have a glimpse of what was coming? A king, Jesus, the son of David, coming to be that ultimate king, the king for the people. If we want true security, everlasting safety, the question is then, is the king on the throne of your life? We insist on living on our own life, on our own way and lives. We will never find security that we long for. It is only when we lay aside and put Jesus on the throne in our lives that we will find God's complete, reliable, and everlasting protection. The king is guaranteed. He is the rock that is higher than I. I'm in the middle of reading a book titled Who Moved My Cheese? How many have read that book? Quite a, oh, a few of you. It's very light reading. It's not a Christian book by any means, but if you feel like uh, change is hard, um, there's it's a parable, and it's a good book to read. The story of how different people react to change and insecurities in their lives. Over five million copies have been sold worldwide, and it right now is Amazon's best-selling book. So it must prove that there is a lot of insecurity out there. One of the challenges in the book is to think: What would you do? What would you do if you weren't afraid? And what would you do if fear was not holding you back? 
Perhaps God is challenging you to something new. Maybe there's someone who wants you to talk to them, share with them. Maybe God's calling you to the mission. Maybe He's calling away, calling you away from your securities that you have, that you're entrusted with, and you're going on a new adventure. Whatever it is, remember that with King, Jesus is King on the throne, we can have utter and complete security forever.